Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Jenners. I'm Matt Hartspeed. And we have a very special guest today, Marnie Wander Ashby on the Ooh. show. Yay. <laughs> um, you may know her uh, currently as VP of Marketing and Business Development at the Syndicate and formerly owner, founder of Sneak Attack Media. And she also does some work in the uh, holistic health space for the music industry through Equilibrium. And we'll talk about all that a little later. But, you know, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So. You know, I wanted to, you know, first kind of ask you about like the early days and, you know, how your interest in music kind of grew at first and what your kind of earliest music memories were. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my both of my parents played music when they were teens and 20s kind of before I was born, obviously. <laughs> Most parents are <laughs> in their teens before they're born. Yeah, we just had a lot of music in the house growing up. So there was always music playing. Um, every Sunday, you know, would be like whatever was on the specific radio station that my parents listened to. And we had, um, you know, a record player in the living room that was just, you know, tons and tons of my parents' records that I would steal as I got older and make little mixtapes out of them and tape them to my, you know, use my my record player tape deck radio situation to make tapes out of their records. But yeah, there was a lot of Lou Reed, a lot of Rolling Stones, of course, the Beatles, Joni Mitchell, and, you know, a lot of like classic rock as well. But then like then into the 80s with like the Cars, like these are all records and, and bands that like there's videos of my sister and I dancing to like the Cars and, you know, like Glenn Fry and, and stuff like that. Aww. <laughs> That's cool that they were musicians. Like, I actually didn't know that. Like, so what kind of stuff did they play? And, like, did, did they ever, like, kind of bring you into that? You know, you kind of saw, like, them kind of creating music and stuff like that? Not really. I mean, my both, they were both in bands in New York, like, you know, when they were younger. My dad, I think he was the singer. Um, most of the time my mom played guitar and piano um, and she was always in bands with like her girlfriends and she played protest songs at her wedding (laughs) (laughs) at her guitar but she became a music teacher later on after she was a nurse for a long time so she I would see you know she always wrote songs she wrote songs for you know me and my sister when we were babies and we would like sing the songs that she wrote for us when she was pregnant with us, with her, um, and she taught me how to sing. I miraculously don't know how to play an instrument. Like, it's amazing that I don't play guitar with the amount of music that was around me growing up. But, you know, she definitely taught me to sing and and harmonize, and uh, we sang a lot of stuff together. And she would write, you know, kids' songs as she was, you know, she started doing more stuff um, with her she was a pre, I think I said she was a pre, preschool music teacher, so she made a kids album um, oh, cool. as she got older. And yeah, she's she's a really amazing lady. Oh, that's awesome. 
I was wondering what kind of stuff you were listening to once you kind of developed your own music taste as a teenager and in your early 20s and starting to see gigs and whatnot. What were you into that you can recall from that period? I feel like from high school into college and then into like living in New York, because I moved to New York when I was, I guess, 21. I mean, it, I, it was a lot of like from the 90s into the early 2000s, it was a lot of like... Tori Amos, Ani DeFranco, a lot mm-hmm. of Ani DeFranco, PJ Harvey, Letters to Cleo, and then into like, you know, Jeff Buckley. I feel like that stuff kind of carried through. Like I listened to the stuff that I listened to in college when I moved to New York for a while because I wasn't in the music industry when I first moved to New York. It wasn't until like, a couple of years into my living in New York that I joined the music industry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of Jeff Buckley for sure. <laughs> what and, brought you and- <laughs> to New York? Um, if it wasn't the music industry. I came to New York to be an actor and a oh. dancer. Oh, and yeah, little known life before music. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, and then like, how did you like, transition into like working in the music industry from that so I I was in theater and stuff my entire life and dance and that was all I ever wanted to do that was all I ever even considered doing I majored in theater in college I graduated early and moved up to New York and you know I was doing auditions did a tour did you know all these things independent films blah 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 and then I just woke up one day and was like I don't like this life Mm. this is terrible and I just I had, there was an actor that came to one of our master classes one time and said, it's actually Richard Kind, who was really cool. And he said, if you ever have a feeling like this isn't for you, if you're not like wholeheartedly into this, it's don't do it because it's too hard if your heart's not in it. And I was like, not me. Like, no, I'm never going to feel like that. And that day that I woke up and I was like in my early 20s, my very early 20s, maybe 22, and I was just like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to take a break. And I was like, well, shit. Like, what else do I like to do? This is all I wanted to do my whole life. Mm. And I'm sick of it already. (laughs) (laughs) And I always loved music. And I always loved my friends were always in bands. And I always used to help them, you know, with their stuff. And, you know, just was very intrigued by the whole process. And my cousin, actually, I just, all I knew about him, I was I didn't really know him too well growing up, but all I knew about him was that he was a music manager. He managed uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers in the 90s. So I just knew that that was a job that one could have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I saw an ad on Craigslist for a music management company that was looking for an intern. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And I did, and I, they hired me as an intern, and I just stayed until they hired me full-time. I just kept showing up. (laughs) (laughs) And I got a lot of experience at that. We worked with um, Tracy Bonham. We worked with Local H. um, The Fire Theft, who were a band made up of the members of Sunny Day Real Estate. Mm -hmm. And uh, Morningwood. Yeah, a bunch of really awesome bands. So that was kind of how I got my foot in the door, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And then at what point did Sneak Attack become a reality? Was it something that you kind of had in the back of your head at that time? 
No, not at all. I, 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 I think that um, I always say that I like started a company by accident. <laughs> I <laughs> worked in the mus- in the management company for a couple years, and then I went to work for a small label group, doing marketing and publicity. I will say, like in in that label environment, I started realizing that I was really excited about what we used to call new media. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that term really disappeared in recent years. <laughs> really didn't age well. Yeah, like no. new media. What does that even mean? But yeah, I was super intrigued by like, you know, all the digital forms of publicity and, you know, obviously MySpace at the time. It was 2005, <laughs> 2006. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, I even remember calling up a friend who was a web developer at the time and being like, we should start a MySpace that's just for music. Like, what a moron. Like, I'm just like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, I just was like, started to be, you know, really intrigued by that. And then I, you know, left the label and started freelancing a friend of mine, Eric Speck, who I'm sure oh, you guys yeah. know, he had a label called Ace Foo, amazing label that I loved. Mm-hmm. He needed some help. He was putting out the vinyl of a band called Priestess that we were both super big fans of. And yeah. was also, he was also, the label was doing, supposed to be doing the digital marketing for the band and so he was like hey can you do the digital marketing can I like hire you as the and I'm like wait like you can do that like you can do just the digital part of marketing that's amazing that's kind of what I want to do and so I did I worked with with him and RCA on that record and then there was another band on Ace Fu called Annuals Mm -hmm. anyway I ended up working on that record and then it just kind of was like oh I think I can do this for other bands (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think maybe I'll try this for a while until I find, I thought I was going to do it until I found my next job. Yeah. And I did it for 12 years until, <laughs> until my company was acquired. <laughs> I know. I was like so impressed that you had like run it for so long. Cause I feel like when we kind of like last talked about the whole history of that company, sneak attack, um, you were like, yeah, I've been doing it for like a decade. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, that's such a long time. And like doing it's it really successfully. And it's no wonder that it got acquired by, you know, it's just the syndicate. So like, you know, it was, it seems like that was maybe the next logical step for you or like, how did that come about? Yeah, I think, you know, over the years, obviously, there were moments, you know, of talking to other companies and seeing if there was a, an opportunity for partnership and, you know, nothing was really quite the right fit or it wasn't the right time or, you know, I was just kind of like, oh, it's like my baby, like, I don't know, you know. And then I guess 2017, what seems like ages ago, and it was not that long ago, it's crazy, yeah. it, I Basically, because Sneak Attack eventually became sort of like, it was a digital marketing agency that kind of sat in the middle of online PR, social media, and like digital marketing, meaning like, you know, we would do creative brand partnerships and we would do, you know, anything that sort of was creatively getting our artists uh, work to a, a new audience. So, you know really you know just thinking about things in a little bit of a different way it's like talking to brands as if they were like pr outlets in a way and you know let's premiere this video with this record player Mm -hmm. brand or you know whatever i basically reached a point where i just i didn't really want to do the pr part of it anymore i wanted to really focus on the digital marketing and the social media part um 
just because the PR landscape has, had changed so much and it, it was hard to kind of like divide among all those different things and I wanted to just focus on, on the marketing. But I had, you know, clients at the time. I had people that I, we were doing publicity for. I still had people coming to me and saying, hey, can you, you know, do this, do this PR campaign? So I always respected the syndicate. I always used to like, you know, every so often I'd meet up with John Landman, one of the partners, and we'd be like, oh, we should work together. We should do something together. And I can't even remember how we connected or what the process was. However, we got to that point, I just remember being like, oh, this makes sense. So I was like, hey, you know, like I'm not going to be doing the PR portion of this, but you have a great PR department. Like maybe you could be the sister company and like I could pass the PR stuff over to you so I know it has like a good home you know and mm-hmm. I don't have to be like oh no I you know so so he was like yeah that sounds great so we did that for a number of months and then at some point it you know he came to me and said hey you know we've actually been also you know really enjoyed working together and we've also been figuring out how, how to flesh out our digital marketing offerings and like maybe it makes sense for us to like be you know kind of more integrated and it you know and I loved them so it felt great and I was like yeah this is awesome so finally was like oh this is perfect yes this works this is awesome but at the same time it probably was a little challenging like letting go of something that you built up on your own you know joining forces in a sense it was but I think it would have been more challenging earlier on I think Mm -hmm. that at that point I was like a lot, a lot of me was like this, it would be super cool to like have a partner in doing this and have, you know, more of a, an infrastructure than just me providing the infrastructure. Right, um, right. Because running, everyone is always like, oh, like is starting a company hard? And I always say like, no, starting a company is really easy. Running a company is hard. Running a company mm-hmm. for a long time is hard because it just takes a lot out of you over time. And I, you know, when you're the only one owner of it you know there's just a lot of things that you have to keep track of and and like there there are days that it's like the best thing in the world and there are days that it's like oh this is so hard but obviously over 12 years there were more days there was the most the best thing in the world and then you know it just felt like the right fit so of course there was part of me that was just like do I get a tattoo of the logo like somewhere on me like how do I commemorate (laughs) you know like whatever but I think that because it felt like such a perfect fit and like I you know I got to bring my whole team and like they had a new home it was kind of like the Brady Bunch you know so it actually was really really good yeah I mean I totally hear you like I think when it's all on your shoulders to like make the machine run it's like takes a lot of work and it's a really long time so sometimes it feels nice to just be like oh yes <laughs> like, mm-hmm. let's get some more <laughs> more um you know structure and like uh, a little bit of help and stuff it feels good to be part of a team too sometimes you know I think that was it yeah I had never like had co-workers well I mean obviously before my before I started sneak attack I did but you know, you're never someone's coworker. You're their boss. You know, you're the owner. Yeah. It like stops with you, and that's just a different. You know, and I have like amazing. Like my team, always the people that worked at Sneak Attack were amazing. They were always incredible people, and you know, but like I'm still their boss. You you're know, still and their just, boss. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so. It's cool to have you know, coworkers, colleagues. You know. Yeah. I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one of the questions we had for you was kind of 
how things have been the last year during the pandemic and how your work has shifted in this partnership. Yeah. Last year was crazy. It's still yeah. crazy. It's still crazy. And it's going to be for a little while longer. Yeah. It definitely will be. It's funny because I feel like I, I, I keep phrasing it the way you did, like this past year, because it doesn't <laughs> feel like it's, you can't say last year, like we're still in this crazy long year. Yeah. So, I mean, at the beginning and today I realized is the last day that we were in the office. Yeah, ago. I realized that um, as well. Uh, over the last year, I kind of lost my day job and started my own thing. So, I, I yeah, I'm kind of in a boat. Maybe you were in, you know, way back, kind of starting from scratch, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's. I realized that it was a year to the day that I had uh, pretty much told my colleagues, I was like, I'm not coming in anymore. This sounds like it's going to be real. And then pretty much everyone followed suit the next day. Yeah. 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 yeah, it was, I, we, you know, had all been told like, you know what, just take your laptops home today. Um, we'll figure it like, well, we were like, let's check in on Monday. <laughs> you know? And then on Monday it was like, let's check in in a week. And then it was like, you know, a year later, yeah. but, um, <laughs> had we all known, but yeah, I mean, it was crazy because, you know, we had, I will say like, it's kind of amazing, um, that most of our, most of our, our digital campaigns that we had going on, I will say like maybe two of our campaigns, like people canceled the, the campaign or just said, I'm not putting out the record or I can't afford to have digital yeah, marketing yeah. on right now. But the majority of the, the work that we were doing on the digital side stuck, which is incredible and I still can't believe it. Um, That's awesome. But, you know, obviously we have the what we call the IRL side of our marketing department mm-hmm. where, you know, we had like tons of, um, street team campaigns at South by and all these things that just were not not happening so the the folks in the marketing department are incredible and you know we all kind of started figuring out other offerings that we could do and they started learning you know some of the digital stuff so we kind of ended up with this amazing hybrid team that can do anything um, because all the you know we're sort of everyone's learning all these new skills and how to do an influencer campaign and how to run strategic partnerships and how to do social media and even even with that you know we spent some time in in the spring and even a little bit of the summer kind of you know training people and and you know everybody collaborating which is really beautiful but it still took a minute because april I mean, it was just hard to, like, we had the campaigns that we had, but then it was really hard to, you know, to onboard new campaigns because people were so scared. They just didn't know. Like, people weren't putting out their records because they were like, well, who am I putting my record out to? I can't tour. I don't know what to do. Or they, like, like, you know, like you're saying, like, they lost their job and they were like, well, I can't afford to hire a marketing company right now. So then, I guess, you know, in in the summer, things kind of turned and people were... What I, what I imagine is people just, you know, realized, all right, this isn't going to go away. I have to put my record out. I have to keep going with what I was going to do. Um, and so people started planning releases, and that's why obviously everyone in the, on the planet released a record in, like, September, October mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, people were starting to kind of get back into the swing of, okay, I need to, I need to promote this thing because I want to give it the best shot, you know, like, I'm ready to do live streaming. I'm ready to get on Instagram Live. Like, all these things, you know, that maybe they had been hesitant to do before. They were seeing the value in it. And we were there to help them through it and teach them how to do it. We saw some really cool things happen, you know, really creative ways of using all these platforms. 
and you know doing things that maybe people weren't 100 percent comfortable with before so you saw a lot of people going forth with like their album releases and i feel like also you know they had to do something to like make money and get press and you know because they couldn't tour anymore so you know and then were you also like did you say you were also like helping people kind of find platforms to kind of perform virtually and stuff too yeah so at, at, at the beginning we were kind of doing a lot of stuff fans in town had launched a really cool like kind of concert series and at the very beginning they were kind of they had like a night where they would have up-and-coming artists and then they have a night where they were doing you know some other types of bands and um so there were all these opportunities basically like our company put together like pooled you know a list of all these different places that were pooling that were streaming that were doing live streams and doing you know kind of live stream festivals and stuff like that and so between like the PR department and our department and you know we would you know be pitching everybody was like an online booking agent all of a sudden it was like (laughs) you know just like where can you get your band's opportunities and most of them you know are just for exposure you know it's not like they were getting paid for these opportunities Although, you know, I think on the on the brand partnership side of things, you know, some of some of those opportunities offered some like, you know, some money for doing, you know, playing some songs on, a, on an Instagram live or, you know, something like that. But it, yeah, it was kind of like all of a sudden it was just like, all right, let's figure this out, you know. But I think that's what you have to do anyway. Normally, it's just kind of like, you know, this was definitely everyone in the same boat. It wasn't, you know. Everyone yeah. being thrown this this massive curveball and just being like, oh, all right, I guess, uh, which is kind of really cool. Like thinking back on it, you know, almost a year later, mm-hmm. <laughs> just yeah. seeing how fast everybody moved in terms of like, you know, just shifting gears and doing creative things and doing, you know, interesting collabs and like the music videos that came out of those first few months, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so cool. Like the Tao and the Get Down did like that oh, really yeah. cool That Zoom video. video that they did. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. And just so like cool. using like the circumstances to like inspire some art, you know, and it is kind of interesting to see like how people turned like this like lockdown pandemic kind of Zoom experience into and expressed it through like different kind of art forms and stuff and also just like all the the political climate that also we went through this this past year and and all the the you know like black lives matters movement the trans movement and just like now like anti-asian violence um and and it's kind of pushes people I feel like to kind of um, find a way to kind of more express themselves in a virtual way yeah Mm -hmm. I agree I think that that you know when you look at the good things that came out of a really heavy really hard year in so many ways I mean the amount of ways that it was difficult and horrible (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. amazing but um, when you you know looking at the looking at the good things and looking at like the ways that people you know have been driven to action whereas you know they might have been complacent before or just not paying attention you know or just feeling like things are okay you know and obviously they are not so you know whether it's because people had more time to take action or because they were finally 
aware of things they weren't aware of. I think that if if that's how it had to happen, I guess that's how it had to happen. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that that is a really, really amazing thing. And I'm, and I'm grateful for that, you know, because I feel like there's more conversations being, being, you know, that are, that are happening on online in real life, you know, but there's more forums for this. There's more, you know, even just on social media, I feel like more than ever, there's just been, and maybe I'm just more aware of it, or maybe I just have more time to consume it but it does seem like there's just more action being taken unless Mm -hmm. you know I mean there is a lot of talk about stuff you know happening that could use a little bit more action but um, it does feel like there's just more education you know self-education more people sharing resources and more openness about stuff which I really it just feels cracked open in a way yeah and like mutual aid and like finding ways to support people even if like you know matt and i talked about this like we love buying like people's merch (laughs) and just like finding a thing that somebody's selling and being like uh you know i i want to support you i'll buy that t-shirt or i'll buy that like mask you're selling or you know like the other day i just like pre-ordered a book (laughs) like i was just like just finding things like just like little ways you know to just like help somebody during this period and I feel like every little thing that you can do is like I don't know like something to the good you know so yeah yeah definitely did you find like a thing about like you know when band camp started doing like the the 100% to artists on Fridays thing did you find like an uptick in like people wanting to kind of like up that really suddenly released their albums like on Bandcamp Fridays or yeah and people bands were more you know vocal about posting about it and saying you know hey this is where you can find my album I mean there we you know that's we you know helped a lot of bands that were not that was one that became like one of the first things even if we weren't doing like a social media platform a digital platform campaign for a lot of our bands we would just automatically as soon as they onboarded with us, be like, are you on Bandcamp? Okay, here's, you need to be on Bandcamp because, you know, this is where you, especially obviously if there were indie bands. But yeah, it was all about, you know, kind of how do we get the word out about that? And then I think for the first time, a lot of bands were open to saying, you know, hey, I get 100% of the profits if you buy it on this date from this platform instead of, yeah, go find my mu- my band wherever you listen to music. It, you know, is a little right. bit more specific and they were posting about it. And obviously with the bands that we were doing social media for, we were encouraging them to do so. But I just noticed that a lot of bands were doing that or they mm-hmm. would specifically drive traffic to Bandcamp. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk a little bit about Equilibrium? I guess, can yeah. you kind of give us and the listeners um, a kind of a description of what it is and how it kind of came about? So I've always had a really deep interest in health and wellness and, you know, alternative health therapies and modalities and stuff. And I, you know, had my own health issues and, and, you know, did a lot of work and and experimentation to, you know, kind of heal them without, you know, with with natural remedies and really with, with food and diet and exercise and lifestyle changes. And at some point I became, I got my certification as a holistic health coach. And then I, I just have always really wanted to do something in the music industry to kind of bridge that gap because especially when I was in management, but then even after that, I would just, you know, 
talk to bands all the time that just were, you know, either injured or sick or, you know, experienced hearing loss or, you know, lost, like had vocal health issues on the road or, you know, and I just found that as I would talk to bands, I would, you know, we'd start talking about like their album or whatever. And then I'd be like, are you drinking enough water? Like, are you, you know, like, are you feeling okay? And, you know, all of our conversations ended up being about that. And so I wanted to do something. Um, I didn't know if it was like an event or like a summit. I had all these ideas of things to do. And then did like a small thing with um, women in music, like a stress relief kind of workshop. But it just, you know, kind of kept puffing up into my mind. And then Nicole Blonder, who used to work at Mute uh, Records, mm-hmm. um, and it's funny because like she and I were both like always in the same like orbit, but we had never met. Um, someone had told her to reach out to me because she had left Mute and she also had graduated the same health coaching program that I did. And uh, we, they just were like, you guys should talk because like you're talking about doing this and Marnie's been talking about doing this. And, and I just didn't have the bandwidth so I kept swirling around these ideas but she was like listen I just left the label like I want to do this and we were like great so we just started tossing around ideas for what this this could look like um and you know came up with the name and then like I made a logo and it just became a thing and we really started it as it being like an event series so you know kind of putting on events that had people in the industry that cared about health and wellness and talking about like just keeping the conversation going you know it was happening a little bit on the mental health side and we really wanted to make sure that it moved forward in a holistic health way you know like to make sure that people were talking about how your physical health health helps your you know influences your mental health and vice versa and there's all these very unique challenges in the music industry with artists being out on the road for long periods of time and you know having limited you know things that they can eat on the road I mean it's definitely better now than it used to be but you know late nights riders like how do you plan ahead and how do you eat healthy especially you have dietary restrictions and things like that how do you keep your body healthy and your voice and then on the industry side you know late nights open bars um yeah of course remember those um you know and like going from show to show or going from work to a show and not eating and then, then eating like the worst things and just mm-hmm. rinse repeat right so and then we sort of started evolving what equilibrium is and really kind of wanted to make it more more than just you know events but you know how do we keep this conversation going and how do we provide resources to the industry we started like this um meditation and breathing breathwork instagram live series that we did for a good chunk of the pandemic so every Wednesday at 3 p.m. we would go live, either one of us or we would have a guest on and do like a little 10 to 15 minute guided meditation or breath work. And people would meet us there and we'd, you know, all breathe together, or all meditate together, and just take a break in our day. And then we just put them all up on, on our IGTV so that they're archived there. So now, you know, anybody can go there and, you know, experience these little mini breaks. Yeah. And then we've just had some amazing practitioners that have been kind of making videos and just providing free resources. I mean, that's so cool because I think that people do kind of need like a place they can go to kind of explore stuff like that because, 
you know, there's feelings of being overwhelmed. Like if you're working from home, that's a whole other level of stress. Um, yeah. How do you separate home and work when you work from home? And <laughs> if you're not working, then you have this whole other kind of stress of like, will I ever find work? Will my industry get back in action? And like, you know, all of that, uh, like depressed feelings that could come from that. So I feel like that's pretty cool that you can offer that and people can kind of go there and at least have a moment of like, you know, getting to a calmer state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's really it is like, normally we're experiencing such a high level of chronic stress you know the industry itself I mean not this is not the only industry that can be stressful you know and it's certainly a lot of fun but you know there's there's you know I mean it's there's a lot of uncertainty there's a lot of unpredictability there's a lot of like you're running on adrenaline a lot of times there's a lot of like last minute you know no budget things that need to happen right now like there's just a lot of that and it's very exciting but when your body is in a state of chronic stress even if it's like even if you're enjoying it, like a lot of us do function off of like yeah. high stress. Like there's we... an adrenaline to it sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's, it's not healthy for our bodies to be functioning on adrenaline. You know, it's not. <laughs> I never thought it's... about it that way. But <laughs> 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 when you're young, you're like, it's all adrenaline. <laughs> totally. And you're yeah, like, but then it catches great. up with you. Yeah. Exactly. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I went to like one of like uh, you were talking in some room in Clubhouse and um, it was like a wellness room and like uh, I remember like eating uh, while I was like, <laughs> listening to it and then like you literally was like it's not good to eat at your desk like or like, while you're working and stressed out because like your body will literally not digest. No, it's very. I mean, I've heard that before too, and I'm the worst. I don't follow that rule, but I really. I should. don't either, and I should, and I'm trying, but it's yeah. when I do, it's a game changer. But yes, I I am fully aware of not of the, you know, of why we shouldn't do it, and then yet I'm like, oh, but just. I just need to get this one done. It's really hard to yeah. not do anything and just eat, which is crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so weird <laughs> to think it's about so, that. But it's like use eating meals as like a meditation and kind of just feel like, mm. okay, I'm going to sit down. I do take a deep breath before I eat any meal, even if it is at my desk while I'm doing <laughs> work. But I do try to just go, okay. <sighs> like we're just going to reset because I just want my body to be like, okay to eat Mm -hmm. and then I might read a stressful email but that's on me but you know (laughs) it is it is something to uh try to work into our repertoire I know I've actually been like trying to um turn off more notifications on my phone so like yeah you know like uh I don't know I was telling Matt earlier I was like I had to turn off my notifications on Clubhouse which is like not oh, even me too. An app that like I'm on that often but like the notifications are out of control <laughs> it's too much I had them on too and I was like oh well I don't really look at it so it's fine like if I look at it then I'll get the note but I I was like I can't anymore (laughs) no it's like ridiculous that's something I have to say I've done early on like early into smartphone you know life I turned off notifications for almost everything if I want to hop into a certain app I'll hop into it when I feel like it yeah and I have to be honest like 
Jen and I are in a, a Slack group. Slack is my, I hate Slack. I'm sorry. <laughs> and like, the notifications, the at here, and everybody gets the damn message that nobody wants to hate it. So I'm, everyone's muted. I'm always that person who has like the triple Z. I'm always sleeping. It's not there. <laughs> Perpetually triple Z, not triple Z. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like the opposite. I like turn everybody on to Slack. I'm like, come on, let's, let's get on I was Slack. so resistant to Slack with Sneak Attack. I was like, oh, God. Somebody told me about it, and I was like, ugh, like another thing i was like i can't but i i have a love-hate relationship with it like i do love it i do it has it does cut down on a lot of emails which i appreciate internal emails where it's like yeah. you know 30 30 oh my gosh email thread totally but yeah it, it it can be extremely distracting and i do try to like mute some of the channels but i also like need to know what's going on so it is it's a balance but i'm I'm bad at like putting up notifications when like I'm eating lunch or you know. Oh yeah, like, I never remember to do that. <laughs> I try to do it just so that you know, and then I try to like put the notification and like actually walk away from my two devices that Slack is on yeah. for like <laughs> five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I mean, you definitely need to like. I think I've found that I definitely need to like force myself to just like take a break. And like walk into the living room, get some sunlight on me. Yeah, stick your head out the window. Walk back into the cave uh, to do work. (laughs) But like, it's the room I work in is like literally a cave. It's so dark. Um, (laughs) There's no sunlight. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I think it's important. And I think, you know, mental wellness, body health wellness, like, has really like, risen the awareness of it has risen during the pandemic because everybody's in kind of a mental and health crisis right now so i think it's like cool that you're you know an advocate for that and giving people some tips and tools that might they might not get otherwise you know Mm -hmm. i think we should hop into repeat skip Yes. Um, and the first album we're going to cover is uh, PJ Harvey's seminal release, Rid of Me, from 1993. Marnie, why did you choose this release? I love this record so much, and mm-hmm. I love PJ Harvey so much. I remember buying this record from my favorite used CD store in the 90s. I guess it must have been like 94 or 5? Probably. Probably, yeah. Like, yeah, that sounds right, because then it would have been, you know, there. And, and I, just, you know, just remember, I would go there all the time. Like, it must have been 95, because I guess that's when I was driving. And I would go there, you know, and just look at what was new. And, you know, we all did this. It was just, like, the happiest place. Like, it was just all this music and all these things I had never heard of. And I would literally, like buy things just because the cover was cool because you couldn't listen to them you know it's just yeah. like whatever so I I don't even remember if I had heard a song on the record or if I just liked it or if I knew her but I, I have no idea because at that time I was also probably listening to like well all the bands that we were talking about before but then also like Juliana Hatfield like so much Juliana Hatfield and like Frente and stuff like that it was like mostly women that I was listening to in the 90s 
I don't know. I saw it and I, I just remember buying it and I just listened to it so much. And I have this just this memory of listening to it in my car, you know, just driving home from like a friend's house late at night in suburbia in South Florida, you know, like it's the middle of the night. So it's like the only time that it's actually kind of cool or cold, mm. you know, if it was like winter break or um, well, I guess we were in high school then. So it wouldn't have been winter break. I have no idea. But I was just the image of whenever I hear this record, I'm in my car and it's dark and it's it's just I'm screaming along with the lyrics and it's just like a visceral record to me. Yeah, it's a very raw release in general. And yeah. at, at, at moments, I mean, I would maybe use the word aggressive at certain points as well. Oh, yeah. Which I think is what adds to the charm of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then I think later on reading about, like, how it was recorded and, you know, like, just, like, learning who Steve Albini was, like, later in my life. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. And it, un sense. I understood why it just, like, hit me so hard, you know, as a... Yeah. late teen I guess yeah I mean that's I mean like yeah just even like looking at the cover like you said like it's such a like stark image it's like definitely like a statement and there's definitely like some kind of rebelliousness that she's like exuding in the picture and then she has this kind of like I don't give a fuck kind of like look on her face and then I was like reading that I think it was like a friend of hers took that photo and yeah. it was taken in the dark and yeah so you just see like that moment when the flash goes off and uh the record label was like complaining about certain qualities of the picture and she was like it's supposed to be that way basically <laughs> yeah weren't they like pissed that the there was like a leaf a leaf from the plant or whatever like it wasn't <laughs> yes. the, and she's like that's the photo <laughs> <laughs> it's on purpose <laughs> uh, yeah no um i know like i just feel like this was the album also that I was like paying attention to PJ Harvey and she was on MTV and I, you know, I remember seeing uh, the video for 50 foot Queenie and like just being like, who is this? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and she know. was so mysterious too. Like it, mm -hmm. you know, and before the internet, like you can really find that much about her. You know, she was just like this force. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. There was always like this, you know, kind of elusiveness about her for me. Yeah, I kind of miss that in general, kind of not knowing everything and not having, you know, for artists not yeah. to have social media. You know what I mean? It's so unusual these days to not know things about them that you otherwise wouldn't have known in the 90s, you know? It's so true. There was a freedom about that. Like, I remember pouring over the lyrics to certain records. And, like, when I, when I got a record that didn't have the lyrics in it, I was like, oh. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I have to just like make up you know and like to this day there's so many records that I just like make up the I don't know what they were saying it never <laughs> occurred to me to look them up well now you can just google it and I know and it's kind of like a cop out yeah like you know it's like one thing because you like you're interpreting it yourself like back in the day like just thinking whatever you thought the lyrics were and oftentimes you're wrong but you know right. <laughs> it meant something to you, you know? exactly like oh oh and then you have to like think about the song all different like is that what they're saying <laughs> <laughs> um what was 
like your favorite like uh, song off the album? I definitely missed. I mean, the whole album's amazing, but missed. I think I just that was like the me in my car singing along mm-hmm. jam. Both of your choices for this episode were they have kind of like an aggressive tone to them <laughs> in different ways, obviously, yeah. but also like hearing about the history of like your career and like which bands you worked with in the beginning, like Priestess and stuff like that. You know, there is kind of like a music that where you're kind of like releasing a little bit in a <laughs> in angst. <laughs> This is good. I think this should be like a whole other show, like therapy, music therapy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why did you choose this album? Interesting. What's going on for you? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) But I think you're right. I mean, like, it's it's such an angsty album, but without being whiny. That I think yeah. that's why, like, it hit me so hard. And now I'm thinking, like, it could have been high school, but it also probably was early college. Like, just there's a lot of stuff going on, no matter who you are at that point, that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you don't feel like you can get out. And, you know, singing along to a song, like, missed, especially with, like, the drum beat. Like, but it just, I don't know, that, that like, rawness of the record of having it be, like, the music was, in, especially in that song, was, like, so sparse. And, like, her voice was so raw and so you know and and then the kind of juxtaposition of like the verses with the chorus of it being you know like slow and softer and then just really really loud so yeah there's probably a lot going on that you know I chose this record and then the other record but (laughs) (laughs) what about you Matt what were Um, what was the song you were into well I first want to say that um so I first fell in love with PJ Harvey on um with to bring you my love in 95 and then kind of kind of went forward from there and then last season we had a discussion about my favorite pj harvey album by far which is stories i love Mm, stories um so some of this to be honest with you dry and rid of me are not my favorite pj records but obviously this one is so special my my two favorites were the obvious pick i feel like 50 foot queenie uh Mm. but also i really loved the dylan cover on this record and yeah I am not a Dylan fan, but it just worked. So, yeah, yeah those are my two picks. Yeah, I, um, I read that she covered that Dylan song because her parents were Dylan fans. Mm-hmm. And that afterwards she learned a lot about songwriting, trying to cover that song. So That's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so, you know. Maybe that's, you know, maybe she kind of transitioned a little bit in her songwriting afterwards. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I I also chose Fifty Foot Queenie. Um, I guess I'm pretty basic in that, but I think it's just because like I have attached memories to that, and you know, there, it, there's like a melodicness to it, but there's also like a strength to it that I re- I'm like really attracted to, and you know. Like, uh, I had read that one of her bandmates said that um, when they were recording that music video, she was testing out a persona, you know, like what her stage persona would be, you know, with the leopard coat and the sunglasses. And she's just like kind of traipsing around, like kind of like in this like, it's not even feminine, though. It's like it's like it in a very kind of like powerful kind of stance and so I and and that they thought that it was like a um 
self-defense kind of thing, like a survival thing on stage, like to kind of, I guess that happens to a lot of artists, right? Like they assume a persona to kind of exude that through a performance. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when they're off stage, it's like a little bit different, but. Yeah, like putting on a mask so they can like. Yeah. Kind of transform. You know, I thought this album was actually really great, but uh, did you have any skips from the album, Marnie? <laughs> I know you love it so much, so sometimes I do it's love hard it, for people to pick one. I would skip Man-Size Sex Debt. I think it's just very, it's, I appreciate the song, but I think, you know, it's a little jarring in the middle of the, where it is in the album, and I just, it's like, uh, I understand why, but it is like a little chaotic and frenzied, and sometimes it's uh, too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's my pick too for a skip. Jen? Yeah, um, my skip was Snake. So I, I'm totally like off base, off <laughs> kilter with you guys, but like I just thought it was like very one note screamy, and I particularly like when PJ Harvey goes like kind of vulnerable emotional and then kind of swings back into more aggressive stuff like all in one song like I like when she has kind of like dips and you know a little bit more range in a song and I feel like that's when it hits me more like you know effectively I don't know it's just like I, I gravitate towards those kind of sounds a little bit more than just screaming (laughs) so i i can see that too it is not my favorite on the record and i think because it's so close to the end that i probably just started it over when it got to you know around (laughs) that point anyway (laughs) or i got to my destination and i don't know (laughs) (laughs) should we move on to uh Death from Above, 1979. <laughs> mm-hmm. Marnie picked uh, You're a Woman, I'm a Machine from 2004. Came out on Vice, they were a Canadian band. Marnie, why did you pick Death from Above, 1979 for your second album? So I was thinking about this a lot, and I, I had like all these... I was thinking about like what did I really listen to a lot during the early 2000s? Like before, you know... Like, when I was just really discovering, like, what I liked about music and going to shows and, like, you know, which band did I see a lot of? And it was this band. And I I now have, like, a very complicated relationship with this record because it is, especially with, (laughs) especially in comparison to the PJ Harvey record that I picked, but it, you know, like, how I feel, I mean, it is a complicated record anyway, I think just as it's aged a little bit but at that point of you know when I was like going to shows I I mean I would see them all the time like whenever they came to New York I would see them you know it was like the first time I ever saw a show in Greenpoint I think it's when I saw them something about them live and even just like listening to this record this particular record recorded it just hits so hard and and it's funny because like I didn't only listen to like heavy music. Like I don't think that I'm like even a heavy music person. Although I do like a lot of heavy music that's specifically heavy, you know, in different ways. But this record, for yeah. some reason, I just like was so like, wow. Like I don't know. And it's funny because listening back and like 
when I was thinking about this, I'm like, do I even choose this? Because it's such a weird thing to say these days, especially as a woman <laughs> working in the music industry. But like the, I wasn't even really listening to the lyrics. Like even if I knew what the lyrics were and I was singing them, I, w- I never like looked it up. I never was, you know, even yeah. like digging into it. I just was like, these songs fucking slay. And I was just like, just really right. enjoyed it. And it's just kind of, I thought it would bring it up because it's such an interesting thing looking back on how mu- how much I was into this band and then yeah mm-hmm. yeah no there's definitely like bands that like you don't really pay attention to the lyrics like they're not known for their like lyric writing or something like that it's mostly <laughs> about the music you know and I think like you know that era that they came out in in the aughts like it was was very it was like a very trendy kind of sound you know that people were all like jumping on um so i I can totally see like you know like people aren't like really like what is he singing (laughs) you know yeah like like, what do you mean yeah (laughs) just like rock it out to it and like getting other inner you know frustrations out or whatever it is that they're getting out of the music but I do have to say, like, listening back, I was kind of paying attention to the lyrics when I was listening <laughs> back, preparing for this. But um, I was like, oh, my gosh, they're so, like, into, like, se- like sex. It's all, like, sexual and, like, <laughs> I, was, I, I, I think remember. that's, yeah, most, most, if not all, of the record is about that. But mm-hmm. I was, like, uh, reading the Pitchfork review of the album. They, they had called it, like, a breakup record. <laughs> Like, is this like the male version of a breakup record? <laughs> it's really funny to think about. Um, Not but... the sensitive male breakup album. No. But the opposite, whatever the opposite of that would be. Not the kind of music that I was listening to, per se. Um, you know, but like, there are definitely tracks like I remember from it like uh romantic rights but i felt like when i was looking up the lyrics to that song like it didn't like really age that well <laughs> definitely like... did not age well <laughs> yeah. definitely did like, not i like kind of like the music but definitely don't like the lyrics on that and <laughs> so that was just like my initial thought like just like listening to it what about you matt do you have any memories um <laughs> <laughs> Okay, That's I'm just Matt's gonna be blunt. Review. I'm just gonna be blunt. I really don't enjoy this album at all, and I, <laughs> I never liked them. I'm I, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Um, but what what did make me smile is that for the first time in a long time, just seeing that you picked this album made me think of the CSS song uh, "Let's Make Love and Listen to Death from Above," which was yeah. my jam. So <laughs> I'm still happy. Song. I just have nothing positive <laughs> to say about this album. <laughs> I just think it's like very like straight dude, aggressive, like every song sounds very similar to one another. Um, And I think personally, a lot of the lyrics are super offensive. Um, But I think it's an interesting pick for what you said, Marnie, where it's like revisiting an album that you once cherished and then kind of looking back at it and saying like, well, actually, maybe this was problematic or maybe like this, this music symbolized something in my life at that time that I can't relate to anymore so I think there's something to be said about that and I think a lot of times when we're revisiting albums 
the relationship has changed so much in the 15, 20, 25 years from the release. I kind of wish I had seen this band live when they were in their heyday, because I think that would have been a trip, but I could never really get into them. I, I don't know what to say. I just couldn't get into it. I don't know. It, did, it didn't, like, align with my taste very well. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they were very, like, had, like, a kind of very specific lane. And I can't even really remember, like, how I started listening to them. But I think, like, I wasn't really into, like, the the Arctic Monkeys and the, you know, those types of bands. And for some reason, this album really resonated with me because it was, like, it was that raw kind of, you know, heaviness. And I think this, I sort of graduated into other bands that I then found and was like, oh, this is what I was looking for. But I found this and that's okay. You know, like Mm -hmm. it just, I kind of, you know, started listening to a lot of other bands that I just hadn't found at the time. Like, you know, the OCs, which is like, you know, they're one of my favorite bands and not comparing them to this band. But I think that might have like, I think, you know, just having a, you know, leaning towards kind of heavier, raw or sounding music. I feel like this this album for me was like something to feel that too. But like, I feel like I was feeling a completely different thing than the album was about. And like, it was mm-hmm. just about me feeling this stuff, you know? And it was <laughs> just like yeah. had a big, a big, you know, impression on me in that way. But I really was like making my own thing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And like... I think there is something to like an album giving you a feeling, you know, at a certain point in time, you know, and then, you know, I feel like, you know, we were all like younger back then and like ran differently, you know, and and we're going through different feelings, you know, at the time. And this just resonated at the time, but it just doesn't, you know, sometimes they don't stand the test of time. Yeah. I mean, I still think that like it's a good album sonically but going back and listening to the lyrics I was like I almost was like don't even bring it up and then I was like I kind of want to because I kind of just feel like yeah talking about how it's such a weird yeah it was just a weird you know thing well I think it's also interesting to kind of reapproach this album strictly lyrically in 2021 versus 2000 when did it come out 2004 yeah like I don't know, would there have been more backlash to some of these song titles and lyrics now if it were to come out versus then, you know? It's kind of, it, it brings up a conversation of, like, the evolution of of kind of what's kosher and what's not kosher in terms of, um, you know, what can be said and, and what can be kind of argued in terms of, uh, I don't know, cancel yeah. culture, many things, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I don't know um, really anything about them as people um, or personally, but um, just uh, kind of learning the saga of like their band name <laughs> and like yeah, you know, <laughs> I know their letter. I didn't know that at the time either, and then like, came across that, and I was like, wow, I was wow, like, oh, okay, um, <laughs> like they don't understand like trademark and. Um, how that could be confusing and they're just basically like fuck you James Murphy <laughs> like, I was like well yeah. that's a little immature <laughs> but now especially because like, he was like I don't know like whatever just stick a number on it I don't care <laughs> yeah like just do it and then they were like maybe we won't maybe we will and then 
now they're back to having the number on, like the, just the back and forth of losing the the numbers um was like kind of hilarious to me and i was just like just stick with it man like don't make such a big deal out of it nobody else cares like i know i feel like looking back on them and i'm not sure if it was like i do feel like i do feel like if the internet was more of what it is now at that time yeah. I feel like I would have been like, and no. But looking back on it and seeing, like, was this just all for shock value? Do they still mm-hmm. do that? Like, I don't know. You know, maybe that was, like, something that I was, like, impressed. Not impressed by, but just, like, just, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever, you know. And, and it just, I think it's an interesting, like, tattoo on my musical journey in my life mm-hmm. of like why that you know why that made why that stood out so much but yeah it, it does certainly feel like looking at like the title of the songs looking at the lyrics looking at their behavior it kind of does feel a little bit like a are you just doing this so that people are you know are you making an impression are you trying to just shock people or you know who knows we might mm-hmm. never know yeah <laughs> I actually couldn't find much about you know like the the inspirations but except for that like pitchfork called it a breakup album and i was like hmm maybe that's a clue um <laughs> but, yeah no and they're like coming out with like they're still they're still around like they're coming yeah out with like a new yeah, that surprised album. me i didn't realize that and so i guess we'll see like how they've evolved as like songwriters um but uh yeah no this has been a trip um my favorite i don't know oh marnie what was your favorite on the album if you know call it a repeat um i like blood on our hands yeah and what about it kind of did you like about it i think just melodically like i think i think one of the reasons that i that i liked this record in general is that it's it's raw and and hard but it's melodic Mm. like it's not just noise it's not just Mm -hmm. loud or just you know and there's only two of them so i think that's why seeing them live was so so cool because you know you kind of have all of this noise coming from these two people um but that song particularly i think is just really melodic but still has like a lot of great instrumentation in it too Yeah. yeah so i think that would have been my my repeat what about you matt what was your repeat (laughs) i was like i threw it out the window i think you might have (laughs) but i'm not sure (laughs) um i believe i'm trying to think what i picked i think i picked sexy results right yes um because it was the one i disliked the least (laughs) (laughs) I'm i'm usually a little more um no i like the honesty I, I just it's not my bad I didn't but, write it um, <laughs> it made me actually think to a band I was into that was a duo that was kind of um kind of loud um and kind of melodic as well years later was Japan Droids like I was really into that yeah. debut. um and for some reason when I was listening to this album I felt like a little bit of a kinship but I was a lot more into, into that record yeah yeah but um you know it, it, people would be surprised I think who kind of um, hear me discuss certain records on on this podcast and elsewhere, but like I actually do enjoy a good noise record. Like one of my favorite bands ever is Health, 
Um, but mm, like, people yeah. wouldn't, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know why I couldn't connect with this one. But, um, but I do appreciate it's good noise and, and kind of experimental type stuff. Um, you know, some of, the, some of my favorite shows I've ever seen through the years have been like Godspeed and Mogwai and all that kind of stuff. So I can appreciate noise. It's, that's just what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a different lane. Like I love, yeah. I love that stuff too. And like my bloody Valentine, I remember seeing them live. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. But like yeah. this, I feel like it's just, I don't know. Maybe there's like a, it's like a, it's like a combination of like, it is loud, but it's still melodic. It's not, I wouldn't consider it noise. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe some parts of it and maybe a couple of tracks on it, but mostly. Yeah. It's definitely heavy me. at, at, a lot of points, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I p- ended up picking Black History Month, even though I hate that title. And I was reading that they only t- titled it that because they wrote it in February. Yeah. Which <laughs> just like, okay, dude. <laughs> but um, again, like, you could have picked anything, but okay. Like, yeah. Why not Valentine's Day? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> But, you know, to me, that was, like, the most appealing, and that's probably the least aggressive song on the album, maybe. But as far as, like, skipping, I picked Pull Out. <laughs> yeah, that's my skip. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that song. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, just, like, the feeling that it gave me when he was, like, push him, pull out, let your spirit free, just, like, oh. <laughs> it's more like juvenile to me than anything else like it's definitely mm-hmm. gross but it's like I think just juvenile and I think that's probably more of a common theme on this record than I would have thought you know that at that time but yeah it's mm-hmm. it's not a favorite yeah <laughs> and I know Matt you basically said you'd skip everything <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to sound any more negative I'm just gonna say <laughs> I've said what I've said <laughs> I'm like that mini uh, meme. I said what I said. I said what I said. (laughs) I kind of thought, Matt, that this would be your reaction. Not in a bad way. Like, I just kind of, I was like, I don't think Matt's going to be into this. But I was really into it. I have to talk about it. So. No, I'm glad. Listen, (laughs) I, I think that's, you know, that's part of the. I think the magic of bringing on guests onto the podcast is to kind of delve into albums that you either weren't familiar with or didn't care for back in the day and kind of revisit. So I'm glad to. I think it'd be boring if we only talked about albums that we loved all the time. Yeah. You know, at least from my perspective. Yeah. No. I mean, also, like, it's like an interesting way to, like, look at an album, right? Like something that maybe didn't age well over time and, um, (laughs) you know, and then talk about that, you know, the feelings behind that, you know, because I feel like that must happen a lot to people, you know, and here we're actually, like, forced to, like, listen back to it and, like, really examine those feelings, whereas most people would just not listen to the album ever again, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of cool to kind of go back and, like, really re-experience them in like a modern lens and mm-hmm. kind of you know just examine what, what all questions. that means yeah ask yeah. some questions i think that, that for me actually was the most interesting thing about revisiting this album is kind of imagining it in the landscape of 2021 yeah, yeah. for sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay well i feel like you know yeah we we covered 
pretty well. We did it. Thank you so much, Marnie, for being a guest on our podcast. So nice to reconnect. I know. I know. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was so good to chat with you and see you and, you know. And I, we've yeah. known each other such a long time. We <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> those memories, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm so happy to see you just like thriving and really like making a difference in the world. And like, I just hope that it all continues and, you know, good things keep, keep coming to you. Likewise. Thank you. That's really sweet. And same right back at you guys. I love this podcast. I love that you're doing this. And I just, you know, I just adore you both. So thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Of course. Thanks again to Marnie for joining us for another episode of Mixtape Memories. And we will catch you soon. Bye. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.